Hello, everyone. We are back again. Sorry for a little bit of a delay. Jason's uh, volume on his uh, headphones isn't the best, but we can still hear him. You might have to turn up the volume on your computers a little bit, but I think we're going to be okay. Um, moving that over. And I think we are ready to go. So, Jason, I'm going to let you take it away. Okay. Um, this, now, Derek, forgive me here for a second. The slides are in the bottom corner. There. Yeah, if you click on the slides, it'll come up full for you. Uh, thank you. Um, all right. Can you hear me now okay? Right on. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. I'm going to talk to you today about statistical analysis. Let me trip over that word. That will give you an idea how much fun this is going to be. Um, for outcomes assessment in CME. And I want to start off by pinpointing who the target audience is for this activity. Um, and this is going to be folks who are not presently using their own analysis for CME. Um, well, okay, we'll go to this slide. Um, but back to the sl slide before that, I want to talk about again who, who should be participating. If um, you're, you know, farming out your analysis, if you're not doing it, if you're just winging it, this is the presentation for you. This is designed to be very cookbook. And by cookbook, I mean we're going to go through this like a recipe and talk about how to do analysis for the types of things that you're most typically going to encounter with your outcomes data in CME. Now, for those folks who uh, are much more advanced, you're doing your own outcomes assessment already in-house, um, this isn't necessarily for you. Uh, I love the more advanced questions. Uh, I have a blog that's listed at the bottom there, assesscme at wordpress.com. Give me a call, send me an email. Um, I love to hear about problems and try to work them out, and I post those blogs there. Um, but if you're looking for, man, I'm going to, you know, what about this very specific scenario? What about this complex analysis? I'm not really speaking to you today. Um, so jumping ahead to the next slide. If you're using analysis in CME, uh, or what kind of questions can you answer with statistical analysis in CME? There's a lot, but there's three general ones, and these are the ones we're going to focus on today. First of all, was there an educational effect? Uh, secondly, if there was an effect, how big was it? And then lastly, how do you now use this data um, to compare effectiveness or compare um, the results of your activities against other things that you've done or maybe other things that are in the literature? So next slide. Uh, next, yeah, thank you. Ah, the delay. Forgot about that. Um, <laughs> so the first question is, was there an educational effect? Now this is uh, we're using statistical tests of significance. These uh, this is the p-value that you typically see associated with outcomes uh, reports, and all this is doing is looking at two groups. So say you've got a pre-activity group and a post-activity group, or maybe you have a, a post-activity group and you're comparing it to a control group, and you have data for them. And whatever that data is, we'll maybe look at that, or maybe it doesn't matter so much right now. Well, then you just want to figure out is the data different. Uh, ideally, it's going to be better um, after being exposed to education. Uh, but the first question is, was there even an effect? So you need to know, is this comparison data due to something beyond random chance? All that statistical tests of significance are telling you is if this difference has anything to do with random chance. That's it. So the statistically significant doesn't mean that they're necessarily, uh, that the effect was definitely there. It just means at the end of the day, you can say that, well, the pre-group is different than the post-group. And I know it's not random, um, so now we're going to extrapolate from that point. Um, next slide. 
So statistical test of significance, which is the first step. If at the end of the day you can't show that your data in your two comparison groups, if you can't convince people through analysis that your data is not due to random chance, then there's really no point in going forward. Um, and the first step of that is choosing the right test. There's three parts to that. You need to be able to define your variable type. Most typically it's going to be either categorical or ordinate. I'm going to show you examples of both of those. Uh, you need to know something about your comparison group data. Is it paired or unpaired? Uh, I'm going to define what that means. And then lastly, in a lot of cases, you need to know what the sample size is. So let's jump ahead here to the next slide and start talking about some actual examples here. Um, a categorical variable. This is a knowledge or test question. So uh, Derek, I'm going to ask you to jump ahead one slide and then come back to this one. Um, so actually, this is an example of a categorical variable. Uh, it's a knowledge question. It was given to people pre-activity and post-activity. And you can see that the answers, there is one correct answer. Um, and then all of the other ones are mutually exclusive. Uh, there's, if you jump forward one more slide, you'll see an example of a case vignette. Um, again, same thing. Uh, there's an evidence-based preferred answer. And all of the answers are mutually exclusive. It's not on a scale. Uh, there's nothing continuous about it. And there's one basically right or wrong. This is a categorical variable. So Derek, if you could jump back two slides. Thank you. So that's the first step. Know what your variable is. Um, knowledge tests and case vignettes are very common formats. The second one is whether it's paired or unpaired. Now you wouldn't really you wouldn't necessarily be able to tell that from the previous slide, uh, or from the, the slides I just showed you. Um, but in this particular case, I'll just go ahead and tell you that the comparison groups were not matched. And what this means is uh, I couldn't link whoever took a pretest with the post-test. I knew that you were in a pre-group, and I knew that you were in a post-group, but I didn't know this was Dr. Johnson's pre-score and this was Dr. Johnson's post-score. I couldn't tie those two things together. That means they're not matched. So now I know using this um, decision tree here basically on the slide that I've got a categorical variable, it's unpaired, and now I'm going to either use a chi-square or a Fisher's exact test. So I'm at my last step here. And, and it's going to depend on sample size of whether I use one of these two tests. I'm going to go ahead and say for most of the time, you're going to be in the chi-square category. That's the example I'm going to show you. By sample size greater than or equal to five, I don't mean just five people in each group. I mean there was at least five responses uh, to each response category. So in that uh, slide I showed you, which was knowledge or case vignettes, there was five different response categories. You need at least five responses for each category um, to make that sample size requirement for chi-square. Um, and then lastly here, we've got, well, let's say if it was a categorical variable, categorical variable excuse me, those paired data, um, you'd be using McNamara's test. And in that case, sample size doesn't matter. Um, that's just the test that you're going to use. Now, I'm going to start out by showing you how we pick the test. The next phase of this presentation is going to actually show you how you do the test. Um, so, so don't worry, that's coming. If, Derek, if you can jump ahead now, I guess we'll be three slides. Okay, so ordinal variables. That's the other type of variable I told you was going to be most common, you're most commonly going to run into for most outcomes activities. Um, and again, once we've defined our variable, uh, which is a rating scale, and, I, and I've got two examples. Derek, if you'll jump ahead just for one and then two slides, give me like two seconds on each. Um, here, well, maybe a little bit more than two seconds, five seconds. This is a scale asking people to rate their confidence in doing something pre and post activity. And then the slide after that one, which is, uh, this is a clinical practice strategy. So this is a clinical statement 
um, using bevacizumab-based combination therapy in non-squamous lung cell cancer, whether you know anything about cancer or not. That's an evidence-based practice that we hope people would be doing more after participating in education um, than they did previously. And it's on an ordinal scale, and by that it means that there's it's not exactly categorical in that they're ranking how much they're using something, say, 1 to 5. Um, in the previous one, they were ranking their confidence on 1 to 7. Uh, but we don't know the diff distance between, say, um, never and not very often. Is that, we don't know that that's equivalent to the distance between, say, maybe not very often and sometimes. So we know it's a scale, but we don't know the exact value of the scale. That makes it an ordinal variable. Um, so now if we can jump back two slides. Uh, so we're back to the test of significance and trying to pick what test we're going to use. We know that it's ordinal. Um, and now the decision is not so much sample size, which doesn't matter in this case, but whether the data is paired or unpaired. And again, whether the comparison groups are matched. If they are not matched, which I find is the most typical scenario, you're going to use the Mann-Whitney-Use test. If they're paired, um, you know who did the pre, and you can link the response to the post, then it's the Wilcoxon sign rank test. We're going to look at the Mann-Whitney-U in the uh, next couple of slides. So if you can jump ahead to the next slide. I'm sorry. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> One more after competency change. So, okay. Once you know which statistical test to use, where do you go? Um, I was going to mention at the beginning, all of the tools I'm going to show you and all the examples here, you don't have to purchase any outside statistical software to do any of it. Um, in, in, in other than you have to have Microsoft Office, which I assume most people have, you can do all of these things online. And I'm going to work you through, walk you through how to do it online. Vasterstats.net is the site that I'm recommending you go to. There's other statistical sites out there. This is the one that I use and I've found the most user-friendly and then I'm going to walk you through on the recipe. Um, but feel free to explore around. So we'll go to the next slide. So here's an example. Um, we've got a categorical variable example, which was the first type of variable I talked about. And you know, you can read through it, but the gist of it basically is we had a CME activity, we had a, then we gave them a paper-based pre- and post-activity survey with five knowledge questions. The survey respondents were anonymous. Um, obviously, it's paper-based. It's really hard to track unless they put their names down, in which case it wouldn't be anonymous. So they weren't matched. We know that. And now we want to determine if the proportion of respondents um, answering correctly pre- versus post-activity was significantly different. This is if we want to find out if random chance had anything to do with it and get our p-value. So let's jump ahead a slide. Uh, here's an that previous example. Uh, you see that the correct answer to this question was peripheral neuropathy. And there's a 37% increase uh, in post-activity getting it correct. And we want to know if this is statistically significant. Let's jump ahead to the next slide. Uh, so here's our, not, here's our decision tree again. We know it's categorical. We know it's unpaired. And if we were to jump back at the last slide, uh, it wouldn't actually say it. But you're going to have to trust me. The sample size was greater than 5 for each of those response categories. When you see numbers that are over 100 um, you, for response, you know you're probably going to exceed that. So let's uh, jump ahead now two slides. Oh, uh, yeah, so we, we know we're going to use the chi-square test. Now, the way to do this, it's incredibly simple. Actually, everything I'm going to show you here is very, very simple. Um, I guess I could have prefaced that at the very beginning for those of you nervous about statistics. Using that last slide, you're going to calculate the number of people who got correct versus incorrect answers in each group, the pre-activity group and the post-activity group. So without jumping back to the last slide, 
uh, it'll come up again. You'll just have to trust me that 48% of 111 got it right pre, and 85% of 157 got it right post. Um, and there you can see the breakdowns, uh, 53 correct, 58 incorrect, and then what it was post-activity. This is the data that you're going to need to plug into the online calculator on Vassarsense. I've got the directions below, but if you jump to the next slide, uh, you'll see this is the Vassar Stats page. You're going to click on uh, frequency data, which is circled on the left side, and then you're going to click on chi-square, Kramer's V, and lambda, which is circled in the middle there. Can we go to the next slide? And this is the data that you had pre that you previously calculated. You're going to put in this two-by-two two table. So you've got, I've got circled up there. You're going to uh, hit two by two for the number of rows and columns, and then for data entry, you're going to put in that data. The first row, A1, is pre-right and pre-wrong, correct or incorrect, and then below is post, correct and incorrect. And those are the same numbers from the previous page. You're going to click calculate at the bottom of that data entry table, which isn't circled, and then circled below it is your p-value, less than 0 .0001. Um, which we don't need to be that specific. At the end of the day, if it's less than 0.05, We've all just sort of decided that that means random chance probably didn't have anything to do with what happened here. And now we can reasonably extrapolate that maybe something had to do with their education. That's it. You've now calculated the p-value for a categorical variable. Let's jump ahead to the next slide. And then here it is. Here's the, uh, here's the same slide. And the only thing that was missing is now what's added in red um, was the data about your p-value. And now it gives you... Um, I don't want to say permission necessarily, but, but logically allows you to go forward and start thinking about now the magnitude of effect, which we're going to talk about later in the presentation. Let's go to the next slide. Ordinal variable example. Okay, so here's the second one. And this is the same sort of scenario. Pre and post survey. Now we're using those clinical practice strategies. Um, the data was by ARS. That doesn't matter so much, but other than the fact that we I'm saying here that the data was not matched, so it's unpaired again, and we want to come up with a p-value. So let's walk through quickly an example of how to do p-value for ordinal variable. Next slide. Uh, okay, so here's a clinical practice strategy. Here's an example of the type of data um, that you'd be wanting to see. So here we've got, a, you know, how people said they were using, how often they said they were using this strategy currently, uh, which is before the activity, and then after the activity, how much do they plan to use it. And we can calculate from the means that there was a 26% increase, but we don't know if that's significant. So that's what we're going to look at with the next slide. Uh, here's our decision tree again. We know we have an ordinal variable. We know it's unpaired because it's not matched, and we know we have to do a Mann-Whitney-U. So let's walk through the recipe of how to do Mann-Whitney-U with the next slide. Uh, okay, so you're going to go to Vassar Stats again. And this is data. I'm not going to go through this right now. I'm going to show you the slides of this stuff. But use this as a reference. You can go back and you know look at the slide, um, and it might be helpful. But let's jump to the next slide. So we're going to go to Vassar Stats again. This should look familiar. Now uh, ordinal data is circled on the right, on the left. You're going to click that. You're going to click the Man Whitney U test, which is circled in the middle. Go to the next slide. It's going to ask you to put in how many people were in your pre-group which is circled there, 44. And we'll go to the next slide. And then it's going to ask you how many people were in the post group. And you're going to put that in. But I skipped that screen. Then you're going to cut and paste your data. So all of your raw data, all of the pre-scores are in sample A, and all the pre-scores, which is, which, is, which is sample A, and all the post-scores, which are sample B, 
You're going to cut and paste those into this import raw data table. You're going to click that next to the arrow where it says import, import data into data cells. We'll go to the next slide. After you've done that, all of your data will populate. I don't know why I keep pointing at my screen. <laughs> Force a habit. Um, then you'll click Calculate from Raw Data. And in the bottom right-hand corner, P uh, parentheses 2 is your p-value. Um, that's the p-value you're going to use for this activity. Again, we see it's below 0.05. So let's jump to the next slide. And now we can add in that little red uh, section, which we know that it was less than 0.05, so the difference was not due to random chance. Um, so now we've got p-values. Let's jump ahead to the next slide. Um, okay, so now you know how to do p-values for what you're most commonly going to encounter. Now you'll notice I use that decision tree to use two of, I think, four or five tests that were listed. Um, all of those other tests can be done using Batser stats. For lack of time and just, you know, people paying attention, um, we're not going to go through all those today. Um, again, this is going to cover probably 80 to 90 percent of what you're going to experience. For the other 20 percent, um, shoot me an email and, and, you know, I can gladly walk you through it. I can tell you those are pretty much just as simple. Um, so now let's get into quantifying the magnitude of that. And I'm going to speed up a little bit even more here because I know I'm running tight on time for being a little lagging at the beginning. In this previous scenario, as we talked about uh, looking at statistical difference for one question, you don't typically have an outcomes activity where you ask one question. You ask multiple. You know, we're looking through this example right here. You might have an activity, um, didactic followed by case-based discussion, and then you're going to do a pre- and post-ARS assessment. Um, and you might have eight questions in that thing, in, in that overall activity. Let's jump to the next slide. Um, okay, some more examples. We can skip this. You know, imagine having eight of those. That slide I just showed you, imagine having eight of those. Um, how do you now not just calculate a p-value individually for each of those questions, which we talked about, but now how do you take the data across those eight questions, combine it, and say anything about the overall effect of the activity? Let's jump ahead a slide. Uh, yeah, okay, so I forgot I had a little um, thing programmed in there. Again, how do we summarize the data across multiple questions? This is effect size. Um, what effect size does is it quantifies the magnitude of effect. I'm not going to get so much into all the details of this slide right here. Um, let's jump ahead to the, to the next one, and let's just work through an actual example, and then I think you'll see kind of what the value of it is. Um, but what this is going to give you at the end of the day to summarize the previous slide um, it's a singular number. Think of it like a grade, which you can use to say, okay, this activity overall scored this. You can cal you'll calculate that number for each individual question, but then you can also aggregate it and get an idea how that activity looks, and then to compare the results across that activity. Uh, again, this can be done using just Microsoft Excel and free online resources. And the approach here, like before we had the decision tree, is dependent upon whether you're using an ordinal or on, on variable type. And the two ones that are most typical here that we're going to look at are whether it's an ordinal variable or categorical variable. Let's jump ahead. Here's again this example. I mean, they're the same throughout the whole thing. Um, it should look familiar. We can jump ahead to the next one. So that was an ordinal variable. And we want to calculate effect size for that. Super easy. All you need to know is the standard deviation and, and the mean and the standard deviation for the pre-group and the post-group. You're going to plug these into an online calculator. If you jump ahead to the next slide, 
this is the online calculator I use. You can use whichever one you want. Um, there's a lot of them, but you've got your group one, which is, um, it's a little strange in this case. Your group one is actually your post group, the comparison, the, the final group. And then group two, your pre-data. Put in your mean and standard deviation and hit compute, and you get a Cohen's D. That's the effect size. Um, even though the one next to it might be confusing because it says effect size, the one that we're going to use most typically in CME is called Cohen's D. And you see it's a 0.47. Let's go to the next slide. So now the question is what the heck is a 0.47? Or I guess I rounded it up and it's a 0.48. You see the data on this slide it gives you some information about how to interpret it. You see what our mean was and our standard deviation. You know how you plug it into a calculator to get to a 0.48. Now what is a 0.48? Well, the two important things to know about this is it's expressed in standard deviation units. Um, and you can read about what that means below it. But um, what's most important is that it's proportional. So a 0.48 would be twice as much as a 0.24, half as much as a 0.96. So if someone comes to you with a 0.96 Cohen's D and you've got a 0.48, their effect was twice as big. Um, and as long as the question types are similar, as long as they're all, you're comparing case vignette to case vignette or clinical practice strategy to clinical practice strategy, you can do that. You can compare um, effect sizes across each. What's also nice about this is on the left side of the slide is there's external benchmarks that have been created through um, research. Uh, you'll start, you'll, I'm sure you've seen some of these in the literature. You might have heard some people talking about these. Effect size is becoming more common in CME to the point where People are actually identifying benchmarks now where they can say, well, for this type of an activity, um, you can expect to have an effect size within this range. And then you can look at what your effect sizes are and see how they match up with that range. Let's jump ahead to the next slide. Um, Derek, I'm trying to zip here. I know I was a little late. How much more time do I have? About five minutes? Uh, yeah, about five minutes. Five minutes. Okay, so let's work, work real quickly through an example of how to do effect size for a case vignette question. So here's an example case vignette. Let's jump to the next. Um, so how are you going to calculate effect size for a categorical variable? Well, similar to what you did before, you're going to do this calculation to determine how many got it right and how many got it wrong. We did this when we did the statistical test of significance. And you're actually going to click on this. This is going to work just like you're trying to do chi-square. So let's go to the next slide. Um, you're going to click on uh, everything you clicked on before uh, to get to this 2 by 2 table. And instead of the p-value, which in this case wasn't significant, you want the Kramer's v, which is circled at the bottom, which is a 0 0.1473. This is something you're going to be able to now transform into a Cohen's d using the information on the next slide. Go to the next slide. Um, you're going to go to another website and put in uh, the information that's listed here. Let's jump to the next slide. It's this one here, and it gives you everything that's circled. You're going to click on the correlation coefficient to effect size transformation. It's going to walk you through a series of questions, which are detailed on the previous slide. And then that thing that's circled there, the uh, italic D, the 0.2981, that is now your transformed Cohen's D for that question. And this is now a number that you can aggregate across, say you had all eight clinical, you had eight case vignette questions. You can now aggregate this number to get an overall effect size for an individual activity. Let's go to the next slide. Um, so you can start answering questions like how effective was your, say, live CME activity in 2013. If you had 10 activities, you had eight ARS questions per activity, you're going to end up with 80 slides. Let's advance one. Um, 
the question is how do you now combine that data across 80 slides? Well, using effect size, you'd have a one effect size for each of those 10 activities. Um, and those 10 individual activity effect sizes could be summarized to give you one summary effect size for live CME in, say, 2013. It's a way to start thinking programmatically with your data, in addition to just quantifying the magnitude of effect, which just a statistical test of significance can't do. Go to the next slide. Please. Um, I would just also say, if you're going to start doing effect size calculations, keep a record. Uh, here's an example of an Excel spreadsheet that I use in my current company, um, keeping track of all the data we do, I mean, all the activities we do, and what their effect size was, um, so that we can start creating data like, let's jump to the next slide, like this, um, where we're actually looking at, uh, over, say, a multiple year period of time, what was our average effect size for live activities and e-learning activities. Now we can come up with aggregate numbers, and I have reference there, external benchmarks, effect sizes that were in the literature. Um, so I can get an idea of kind of where are we falling for magnitude of effect, or where are you falling for magnitude of effect, in relation to external benchmarks to get an idea for how you're, do how you're doing. Um, so let's go to the, I think the last slide. Um, so that's pretty much it. Um, we talked about how to do a statistical test of significance to determine step one, is there an effect? If there is an effect, now you're going to go forward and do an effect size calculation. Apologetically, I ran through that pretty quick, but I designed these slides to be uh, very recipe-based, so I'm hoping that they will stand alone. Um, and then lastly, once you have this effect size data, what power does it give you? Um, how can you now look at um, overall effect size aggregating your data? Jason, thanks. That was really great. I mean, this is one of those things where I'm glad we're archiving it because I'm going to have to go back and uh, look at it again to uh, keep track of everything. But that's what no one knows is the whole reason I've done this is to know I have my own little personal library of resources. So it's been a great thing. But thanks a lot. I appreciate it. Uh, coming up is our very last presentation of the day. Uh, Ross Dworkin from Blue Grotto talking about the Sunshine Act. Give me about uh, five minutes, and we'll be back up and running. Jason, thanks again. Cheers. Thank you.